In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hello, Craig's listeners. You know, the thing that makes uh, Craig's List different than other podcasts is little differences. Uh, I mean, they don't call a podcast a podcast. Well, I guess we do, actually. I guess we're very similar to other podcasts. But today, we're talking about a film <laughs> from 1994, uh, directed and written by Quentin Tarantino. The film is entitled Pulp Fiction. Uh, I'm sure many of you have seen it. Uh, I hope you have, but we're going to talk about it today with a special guest. But first, let's say hi to Carla. Hi, guys. I really thought you were going somewhere with that opening. I knew I was not and <laughs> ab- aborted it right away. Here's how I would have started. Okay. God damn. I said, God damn. <laughs> I tried to do the song. It was good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that would have translated. Uh, it's just me making uh, guitar noises. Uh, our guest today is she's a writer, uh, improviser, a actress, but she's also my sister. <laughs> and her name is Liz Kikowski. Hello. There's so many Kikowskis in this room right now. A total of three that I can see. It's crazy. Yeah. Probably uh, the highest population of Kikowskis in one room anywhere in the world right now. You're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> We can only hope so, yeah, because we don't think that Kikowski is a real Polish last name. I think it was kind of changed at Ellis Island or is a bastardization of Krakowski? I think so, yeah. However, there are a number of Kikowskis online that are not related to us as far as we know. Yeah, but there doesn't seem like many. And doesn't it end with you? (laughs) <laughs> well, our Kikowski line ends with me, unless I yeah. ha- unless I produce a male, unless specifically somebody at this table produces a male heir. Uh, <laughs> I've never felt so much damn. pressure. <laughs> uh, our Kikowski bloodline will will end with me. Sorry, Kikowskis. <laughs> Because your kids are Schaffers and my other sister's kids are Olsons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so right now, no male heir, no female heir either for, for that matter. Okay. <laughs> we are not having kids as far as we know. That's what this podcast is about today. <laughs> so Pulp Fiction, pretty big movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in 1994, nominated for seven Oscars. It won one for screenplay for Mr. Tarantino and Roger Avery, his co-writer, uh, on the film. Currently, it's number seven on the IMDb Top 50. Wow. Uh, the best movies of all time. And we had a treat that we did not see this at home on DVD. 
We saw it in a screening room on the big screen, thanks to your husband, Akiva. Liz. Yeah, at his office. They have a little screening room. We got to watch it there and sit in real movie theater seats and mm-hmm. drink and it wine. It sounded really good. It sounded it great. It looked great. It looked great. I, it, was a, it was awesome. And yeah. I hadn't seen it in so long. And, well, I guess we'll get to this, but I thought it held up and was excellent. And it was a wonderful night. Yeah, it was super fun. It was definitely the the most fun I've had watching one of the movies so far. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was just cool, like, being in a room with other people, Mm -hmm. laughing at the same things and talking and whatever. Now, do you think if we had seen Wings of Desire, for example, on the big screen, that it would have been the most fun experience that you had had? Perhaps. But we'll (laughs) never know, unfortunately. That is the truth, is these things were made for the cinema, people. They were made (laughs) to be larger than life. And uh, just watching something on your tiny TV at home, even if it's HD or whatever, is not just going to hold your attention in the same way. And I think... And Tarantino definitely, like, thought through... I mean, every it feels like that whole movie, every single scene is inspired, original, really thought through, storyboarded. You know, Mm -hmm. like, there is... The shots are cool. There's just a whole style to it that you might just lose. I don't know. Yeah. It's really in our face. You're just kind of taking it all in. It's Absolutely. a cap- capital M movie. Yeah. And movie. <laughs> it's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and all Tarantino's movies are movies about movies, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which has gotten a little tiresome over the years. Sure. Well, we can get into that okay. as well. The diminishing returns of QT. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh, QT. God. <laughs> uh, he is a real cutie, but... Um, yeah, I mean, this movie was the shit in 1994, and I think it holds up, first of all, nostalgically, like it kind of takes you back to where you were in 1994, uh, and it couldn't be more 90s, but it's also, it works great today, yeah. and you can see how influential it was on a whole generation of films. I think if it came out this year, it would also be the shit. Like, yeah. it just has such a cool... <clears throat> Well, I also wonder if like the nineties is back right now in <laughs> in pop culture. Like that's what the fashion is right now. And we're feeling nostalgic for the nineties anyway. Yeah. So it was interesting to watch it again <clears throat> now. And I did feel like I was like, Oh, the nineties. Like when I we had a got that. Clinton for a president. Yes. <laughs> had like the grunge vibe, had this I don't know, but Yeah. The nineties were nostalgic for the seventies. And the 70s were nostalgic for the 50s. So it has to work that way. Yeah. Well, it's always 20 years before, you know, mm-hmm. so of like whatever your pop culture era was, as those people become creators, then oh. they, they put, they put their throwback thing on, on Interesting. the screen. Yeah. So like the 70s had American graffiti and grease mm-hmm. and happy days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the 90s had that 70s show. Right. And right? now it's the Goldbergs. The Goldbergs, which which is is about his, well, that's kind of 80s, right? Late 80s, yeah. And Stranger Things is 80s, you know. So yeah, but but meaning it's a creator doing their life, their like back in the day, like talking about their their times. Now, Pulp Fiction stars John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, uh, Bruce Willis. Quentin Tarantino, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Har- Ving Rhames, Ving Rhames, Irving Rhames is in it. Uh, 
who am I missing? Did you say Har- Harvey Keitel? Harvey Keitel as the wolf. Uh, Phil Lamar from Mad TV. Julia Sweeney from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, Christopher Walken. Christopher it. Walken. Also from Saturday Night Live. Eric Stoltz. <laughs> Kathy Griffith. Did you say her? Oh, yeah. Rosanna Arquette. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah she's good. Uh, so just a Amanda Plummer. Yeah. Did you say that right? I did. <laughs> <laughs> just an all-star cast, though. Uh, some of them were not as big at the time. Uh, and I think the, uh, three Oscar nominations for acting for it for Travolta, Jackson, and Thurman, all well-deserved, uh, certainly. Uh, I, I'm going to expect that you, Craig's listeners, know the plot of Pulp Fiction. Uh, it's actually, and if you don't know it, uh, I feel like it would give away some surprises to tell you what the plot is. But the movie is told out of sequence, and you kind of figure out the sequence uh, as it unfolds, which is one of the things that's very cool about this movie. Agreed. <laughs> this was pre-memento, right? Pre-memento. Is that a Latin term? Oh, boy. Oh, pre-memento. Mm-hmm. It was before the movie Memento. Which is like the classic... Out of order. Out of order thing now? Yeah. Well, that's totally backwards. Pulp Fiction is backwards, forwards, every right. which way. Yeah. Right, you know? right, right. Like a puzzle piece. It's a puzzle piece coming together. and But the plot is kind of more incidental to – it's just a collection of great scenes and great characters. And here's the thing, people. Character first. <laughs> uh, say what you will about Tarantino. He is always character first. And I think – he gets these vivid people in his heads and he knows exactly who they are and he's often written them for a particular actor, you know, so he's really visualized exactly who should play it and how they should sound and you're never going to confuse one character in his movies for any other character. They just pop with individuality, you know, so that's a great lesson. It's something I tell my improv students, of course, you know, focus on character and relationship first, but this is basically a character and relationship movie. You said uh, he gets these characters in his heads, <laughs> but it felt right. Yeah, he has yes. he has multiple heads. Yes, they shoot him in a way that you can only see one of his heads at a time. But, yeah, and his movies are of course in love with their own dialogue, uh, and this movie may have more quotable lines than just about any movie yeah. I can think of. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's direct from that movie, I'm sure. At some point, and someone sometimes said. I, I feel like I thought in watching it again, I think because it's become such a famous movie and there's so many quotable lines and everybody had the poster and when I went to college, you know, like it, yeah. that I kind of felt like, oh, I might roll my eyes a little bit at some of these scenes that are so iconic or it's going to feel really written now or something like I kind of went into it being like I wonder if I'm still gonna like this yeah but it's not it it wasn't like that for me like sometimes those kind of scenes that feel like the you feel that the writer's proud of themselves mm-hmm. for writing such a cool scene kind yeah. of thing but I it's it just maybe it's the delivery of everybody but like you know the foot rub when they're talking about the foot rub before they go in it yes. just was really funny and mm-hmm good and i don't know it didn't it 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 truly held up with all that it's in a like a sweet spot of it's artificial like it's kind of like a little self-consciously film noir uh but the actors really inhabit the lines to the point where they make it feel authentic or they kind of embrace the artificiality of it 
And you know that Tarantino is in love with his own yes, dialogue. You but, also do know that, yeah. But yeah, it somehow it doesn't come across as stilted. It comes across as very alive and natural and real. I think it just has so much style. Like it's just such a cool movie yeah. stylistically. You know the costumes and then the actors and the way that they're saying lines. It's just cool, and but it it all flows. Like it feels like everybody's in the same kind of movie. Yeah, even though the, there's. You know, when Bruce Willis gets in the, the taxi and everything turns to black and white behind yeah. him and it's this really like artificial looking scene where you can tell it and it, that, that isn't done anywhere else in the film. Yeah. And it's really this sort of strange. They moment. use rear, rear projection and it's in black and white. In black and white. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Like it so really, they're, they're not trying to get away with anything. He's saying, you know, this is a fake backdrop. Yeah. yeah. But like, so even that so it stands out and it kind of wakes you up for a second. But it still weirdly fits into the tone. Yeah, I think that that one at first I was like, what the heck is going on here? But then by the end of the scene, I was like, that was so cool. Yeah. Just like every other scene. Maybe that's it. Maybe the tone (laughs) is just cool. Yeah. (laughs) And so he can take all these swings and all this different thing and like, and it just go, well, that was still pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think that's what's so amazing about it is cool is something that has a limited shelf life, you know, and, a lot of like comedy throughout history is kind of like a you had to be there kind of thing and cool. It kind of goes hand in hand with comedy of like it worked at the time and you know, you still have a, you know, a soft spot in your heart for it. But I think you're right. This was cool then and it's cool now. Yeah. And that's really hard to pull off. Uh, Carla, do you remember seeing this when it came out? No, I did not see it when it came out. You would have been 14. Yeah. Too young for this movie. I think so. And I also remember in high school when people were watching it, um, not wanting to watch it because I didn't, I didn't want to watch all the violence. I knew about the scene where his head gets shot off mm-hmm. and I was like, that's not going to be funny. <laughs> yeah. Referring to Marvin. Of yeah. Course. Marvin. And, uh, so I think the first time and the, people were watching it in college and I feel like maybe I saw snippets of it in college and I fully watched it maybe eight years ago, seven or eight years ago with you. Okay. And you liked it then? I liked it. Yeah. I think I liked it more this time. I think the older that I get, the more I like it. Hmm. And Liz, do you remember seeing it for the first time? Well, I remember just, I don't have the memory of like, oh, I went to this theater, sat down and saw it. I think you do remember though, but I, I do. know, yeah. I remember loving it. And okay. I remember then, and having already seen Reservoir Dogs and being like, oh, I love film and thinking the, like Tarantino's awesome. And it was at a time where I was starting to apply to colleges and deciding what I would do. And I think Pulp Fiction, the experience of seeing it and being like, that's like, so cool. Yeah. Then being like, maybe, you know, I want to go to film school. And then obnoxiously first day of Northwestern wore a, um, Reservoir Dog shirt <laughs> as I moved into my dorm to let everybody know how cool I was. Yeah. Did you, did you get any feedback on that? Well, Jeff Beal, uh, that first day I met him, but it, I was like carrying a box up the stairs and he said hi. And then it was like, he walked down the hall, turned around, came back and went, Hey, cool shirt. <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. It, 
for somebody who was in the improv scene in Chicago in the early 90s, like I can't tell you to what degree Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction influenced the improv community in Chicago. Like it was huge. Tell us. I said you, I know you said you can't, but I Well, think I can't. Can. I just can't. <laughs> well, but I will try. Um and we will get more into this when we cover Reservoir Dogs later on Craig's list. Spoilers. I've never seen Reservoir Dogs. Oh, you were in for a treat. It's real violent, right? Well, here's the thing. I think it's like Pulp Fiction in that there, if you look at Pulp Fiction, how much violence is on screen? There's two or three scenes of extreme violence that have such weight that you kind of remember it as a violent movie, but most of the movie is not. And violence happens, but I think Akiva pointed this out while we were watching it. So much of it is off camera. Like you like hear it? gunshots, mm-hmm. and then you see what happened. Car crash. Car crash, off screen, then you see the after effects of it. And Reservoir Dogs kind of does the same thing. There's, oh, yeah. Doesn't the camera uh, go to the side for the ear yeah, scene? Yeah. I mean, the ear scene is the most famous oh, thing from Reservoir Dogs. Scene? But, but more more of it is in your imagination than is actually shown on screen. Is yeah. that an homage to Blue Velvet? The ear scene in Reservoir Dogs? Uh, we'd have to ask QT. Ooh, stop mm. calling him that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so gross that you and keep with, smiling with, and saying I, that. With Reservoir Dogs... I don't remember exactly when I watched it. It was probably around the same year that I saw Pulp Fiction because you it was one of your favorite movies. You had told me to see it. I watched it, I believe, up in your room. And it's one of those movies when it ended, I watched it again immediately. Oh, wow. So I watched it just back to back because I was like, what have I just seen? (laughs) And then... And then you're saying when you came home to visit, that was my first time seeing Pulp Fiction, right? We yeah. were together. Yeah. It came out October 14th of 1994. And uh, that was also the date of the final performance of my Herald team, my improv team at Improv Olympic, which was called Mr. Blonde. Mr. Blonde, of course, being Michael Madsen's character from Reservoir Dogs. Of course. And <laughs> uh, Reservoir Dogs, I was dragged to by a couple of friends of mine who were from my improv class who had already seen it and were like, you have to see this movie. And everybody was seeing it at the time. And the guys who were the big uh, influencers at the theater at the time, which was like Adam McKay, Matt Besser, Ian Roberts, they had all seen it first and were telling everyone to go see it. Like it was an indie that was pretty under the radar. Uh, and then when the new Herald teams were formed, they were all named after the characters from Reservoir Dogs, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Pink, Mr. Orange, oh, Mr. Wow. White, etc. Uh, but we were the only team that actually kept its name on the schedule. So we were Mr. Blonde for about two and a half years, the, the length of time that that team lasted. I had a Mr. Blonde poster in my room. Um, later there was a, uh, after Pulp Fiction, there was a Herald team called Fox Force Five, oh, fun. which is the pilot that uh, Mia Wallace makes oh, yeah. in yeah. Uh, in Pulp Fiction, uh, which ends up becoming Kill Bill, kind of. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, definitely of like the idea of like an elite force of killer oh, ladies. Yeah. You know, that's exactly what her squad is. And when he de- uh, when Kill she Bill describes is. each one, it's like characters from the Kill Bill movies, right? Yeah, the ladies. Yeah, God, I Vivica loved Fox those. and Lucy Liu. Yeah. yeah, I loved Kill Bill. I guess I love Quentin Tarantino. This is like surprising <laughs> to me, but I'm like, oh, like all of I saw yeah. I saw Kill Bill when I lived in Amsterdam and was just blown away with that too. Yeah. yeah. Uh. And then Pulp Fiction, the out-of-sequence uh, 
storytelling was a big influence on a improv form that uh that I helped create called Close Quarters. Um actually I didn't help create. I was in the original cast, but the the guy who created it was Noah Gregoropoulos who was our director and uh he was going off even more the Jim Jarmusch movie Mystery Train, but pulp fiction was definitely an influence in the way that people were trying to do improv storytelling. Uh, at the time. And I think. So you mean like set things up that maybe the audience doesn't know what it is at first. And then by the end, you've paid off that thing. You've like showed where it originated from. Or exactly. Something. Yeah. You see the scene leading up to the scene yeah. later, you know, and then it only become comes into focus later. But number one thing yeah. is, is you can't get so hung up on plot and storytelling that you don't create interesting scenes in the first place. And so that's why uh, Pulp Fiction holds up so well is that the scenes are so fucking good. Um, my other favorite story about the premiere, Carla's opening up a packet of shrimp I'm chips. Sorry, they're sitting there. I'm so hungry all of a sudden. Uh, don't worry, her chewing will be off mic. Right. <laughs> Uh, the rest of my improv team went to see Pulp Fiction on the day that it opened. I couldn't make the, uh, the screening because I had to work that day. Uh, but as my friends were driving away, having seen the earlier screening, this was at the Biograph in Chicago, uh, a bunch of people were lined up for the later showing. And, uh, my friend Rich Tallarico, who I still perform with today, uh, stuck his head out the window of the car and yelled at the people waiting in line. Bruce Willis kills John Travolta. <laughs> and these people were so excited to see the hottest movie in town, Pulp Fiction. They were probably Reservoir Dogs fans. And a bunch of people just screamed back at him, fuck you. <laughs> Can I tell you that when you told this story the other night at the screening, I'd forgotten that he really does kill John Travolta. So I just thought it was really funny that he made up a story about the movie. <laughs> oh, like as he, like he was fucking, like with, fucking people, with them. Just, yeah. It's not true. Yeah. No, that's what I'm like. Oh, Rich Tellerico thumbs down. <laughs> Big thumbs down. I'd yeah. be so pissed. It's not as funny now that I know that that actually happens in the movie. <laughs> Just well, we'll give Rich a chance to tell his side of the story when okay. we have him as a guest for the Make Reservoir sure. Dogs Make episode. Sure you ask him about that okay. moment and if he regrets it. <laughs> oh, I will. And if he could go back in time, would he do it any differently? Okay. <laughs> uh, and Pulp Fiction also uses a bunch of Reservoir Dogs actors, i.e. Steve Buscemi, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth. It was fun to see Steve. Quentin Tarantino. Is it Buscemi? Buscemi. Buscemi. Okay. I thought it was Buscemi. 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 <laughs> I think it's Buscemi. Or that's what I say. Nonetheless. Tim uh, Roth, who I saw at Little Dom's the other day. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, he's eating at Little Dom's. Okay. I mean, I don't know him. But sure. Just, but he was in a booth. Yeah. You know? So it's pretty exciting to see him in a booth. It's all coming back <laughs> like, full circle. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Pay attention to the robbery. You know? And like, whoa. <laughs> and then he was at the nature... Um, the, the like Whole Foods nature store afterwards. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. Like yeah, getting his getting bulk some, grains. Yes. <laughs> he needed some, some holistic vitamins and minerals. That's hilarious. <laughs> LA. <laughs> I think the other thing watching it now, having lived in our neighborhood for a few years, this is the first time I've seen the movie since we've lived in this neighborhood and there's three locations that are very close to us yeah. that are used in this movie. Uh, and it's not ever really, I mean, I guess all of the locations in this movie are questionable, but 
There's some really questionable things that happen in this neighborhood in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Is, questionable those, how? Yeah. Are those well, like white trashy, white supremacists? Yeah. Oh, sure. You're talking Davis? about Jed's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jed's pawn shop? Which yeah. is just... Still don't really like that scene. Sure, sure. We'll get it. We'll get into that. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but the Eric Stoltz's house in the movie is three blocks down from us. It's oh, on, yeah. It's on our street. Uh, the scene where uh, Butch hits Marcellus with his car is about a five-minute walk from us as well. It's right. You can see a Foster's Freeze soft-serve ice cream in, prominently in the movie. That Just is around the corner. Right around the corner from us. I'm Did, telling you too much, Craig's listeners. I know. But. Don't don't track us Did down. Did Quentin Tarantino <laughs> grow up in L.A.? Oh. Where's yeah. he from? I think he's from Orange County, actually, oh, okay. but he's definitely from Southern California. Okay, yeah. I'll have to look I wonder look if that he ever up. lived in Atwater. He might have. Now you've said the neighborhood. Oh. Uh, <laughs> And we live three blocks from the house that you can Google and find the address of. (laughs) And then Butch's Motel is also in our neighborhood as well, though that motel was torn down and it's now a gas station. But you can see the uh, the Hyperion Bridge as uh, as Butch and uh, Fabby pull away on uh, on Zed's chopper. Her name's Fabby. Yes. Oh, of course it is. (laughs) Fabby. So I, I. and I think Tarantino, along with a little later in the '90s, Paul Thomas Anderson, the uh, one of the directors to really show like the shitty LA, right? Yeah, <laughs> the LA as it actually exists. Because so many movies, I think any movie in the '80s uh, that was set in LA, like would begin with the same montage of just like Beverly Hills, uh, the, the Venice Venice Boardwalk, yeah. palm trees. Right. I love LA. Yes. The Lakers playing basketball, like whatever. And this is like yes. the LA You're where right. people like actually live. You don't get one ounce of Beverly Hills. No. No. Life of at all in Pulp Fiction. And I never, I never go to Beverly Hills. Yeah. <laughs> like my yeah. life does not include Beverly Hills ever. No, or the beach. Or the beach. Right, like you don't see the beach at all in Pulp Fiction. No. Right? Nowhere. He lives, though, there's a rep, right? He's going to take a cab after oh, right. Mr. Wolf or whatever. And he's yeah. like, where do you guys live? And it was like Redondo. Yeah. And Inglewood. Inglewood. And he was like, move out of the sticks, fellas. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I see a cab in your future. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and that uh, shitty junkyard is in North Hollywood somewhere. The location for the pawn shop is in Canoga Park, so it wasn't actually in Atwater, though it, it's huge. Yeah, well, that, that's just where where they shot. I mean, they shot bits and pieces all over, but no, it's a real thing. <laughs> you want to find the real? No, Zed's pawn I don't shop? want to find yeah. the real <laughs> pawn shop. And uh, Reservoir Dogs, a lot of it was shot in Highland Park and Eagle Rock mm. uh, as well. The diner in there is not far from us as well. Uh, well, let's get into going through the movie chronologically a little bit with some Carla's quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's quotes. Mm. Now, Liz, I don't know if you're familiar with this device oh, yeah, on our it. show, but <laughs> these are actual things that Carla said during the movie. And this is kind of our first time seeing it with a bunch of other people at this screening. So I had to encourage Carla to continue to, to speak. Don't be self-conscious. Yeah, it wasn't as fun to like just, <laughs> you know, because you don't want to bug people. But Liz had some great quotes. I believe I also have some Liz's quotes yeah. as well and possibly some Robin quotes as well. Our, <laughs> our friend Robin was there. 
<laughs> and I think that one, two, three punch uh, created some uh, some good <laughs> results. Uh, uh, one thing that came up in trivia, by the way, this was an eight million dollar movie, uh, which five million went to the actors. So, like, most of it was. Wow. Most of it is actors' salaries. So, wow. I mean, that is one reason for keeping the violence off camera is just for production costs. Oh, like, right. This really was – I mean, the, the returns on this must have been amazing. Yeah, I think it, Akiva was saying that. He was like, it was so smart because it wouldn't have cost him as much to do that stuff yeah, off camera. Or it might have been – I mean, it might have honestly been budget. He might yeah. not have been able to show yeah. a car crash or right. someone getting shot because that all takes special effects and – Yeah. All, you know, or it was a choice. I don't know, you know. It and works though. And Reservoir Dogs made even cheaper too. Last chip. <laughs> uh, so Tarantino opens with every eleventh grader's favorite uh, essay device, defining the word pulp for you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just the dictionary definition of pulp, uh, which is uh, first of all like moist wood, and then is a type of uh, of novel, <laughs> you know. Uh, but Carla said moist is the worst word. <laughs> <laughs> I stand behind that. Agreed. <laughs> uh, the movie opens on uh, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny, uh, who are a... Uh, Honey Bunny. <laughs> oh, wait. I have something before that. Yeah. Can we talk about it? Sure. Because we were... T- the um, How the soundtrack... Right, it starts with the one song, and then is, and then it. Uh, yeah, well, that's uh, the oh, titles after. is after. The, there's a cold open. There's a cold open to yeah, this hold movie. Hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on, okay. you guys, hold on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the cold open is Pumpkin and Honey Bunny, uh, played by Amanda Plummer and uh, Tim Roth, who are a couple of uh, small time thieves uh, at a diner, and it's just kind of a conversation uh, at a diner, and you gradually realize that they're talking about robbing the place uh, as it comes up. Um, Carla's response to, uh, to seeing Amanda Plummer was, I miss chokers. What? Oh, she the necklaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and Liz said, they're in style now. You can get one. Yeah, so she responded are, to they're my, back. Yeah, they're back. to my That's thought. What I'm saying. Yeah. These are back. Yeah. But do you know the, I think we talked about this. The, apparently the fashion rule. No. Is if you did it once, meaning if you were around when it was in style, you're not, supposed to do it again because it means you're too old for it <laughs> oh i can't live by those rules i know so it's like we're not supposed to wear overalls right now too late carla yeah. just bought a pair of overalls i'm i have doc martens now yeah. so i'm not living by that rule yeah the baby doll dress baby doll I dress guess. i got one of those last yeah. summer so i say fuck it we're gonna choke her <laughs> My baby doll dress that i got last summer has sunflowers all over it it couldn't be more 90s but I, I feel like you know this couple right away of just like like one minute into their dialogue and the just like the performances are so good and the dialogue so good of like they just feel like lived in right away. Uh, and just specificity, like Tarantino's big on specificity of like there's something about um, there's this guy, you know, ordering his Denver omelet, you know? <laughs> uh, which is just great. And then when it was over uh, and it. And it also, the soundtrack to Pulp Fiction is amazing. It's amazing. And everyone I knew had that CD in 1994, and we played it at parties all the time. Yeah, I listened to it all the time in college. Yeah. And it also it has the dialogue from the movie. So when you listen to Miserloo, the Dick Dale 
uh, song that opens up the movie, the surf guitar kind of thing. You hear that, uh, everyone be cool, this is a robbery. Any of you fucking pricks move! I'm gonna execute every motherfucking one of you! Uh, and it's so, like, to this day, that I just get a visceral thrill from hearing that dialogue going into it, you know? And so, uh, Liz, this is a Liz's quote this time, said, that's a cold open. <laughs> it is, though. Boy, oh, boy. Particularly on the big screen, the combination of that music and then and huge fucking letters like pulp fiction, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm like, he wants you to feel you like. cheer, you know? Yeah. yeah. How over the top it is. Uh, and it goes to the names of all the actors. And then here's the moment that you liked. Yes. Well, I just was like, I'd forgotten about it too. It, it's that surf rock song, and then you hear like as if somebody's changing the, you know, the station on their radio. You hear kind of like the, and then it goes into what song after that? Jungle Boogie by oh, Cool right. and the Gang. Yeah, um, but we were just talking about that as a device that's kind of like, I don't know. I think it's one. It's setting you up to be like, don't settle. Like this movie's gonna. Just do different things and different choices. It's tonal not shifts. Be tonal shifts. And then it's, it is like, you do kind of ping pong. I mean, there's a bunch of different stories going on, but mainly there's the, you know, Travolta and, and Samuel Jackson storyline. And then there's the Bruce Willis one. So I also was like, Oh, it is also letting you know, like this movie is g- going to go from one type of song to another. And yeah. like, you're going to change channels at <clears> any <throat> point, And like, it really does like, I just every every moment of it is kind of like waking you up again. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost like Tarantino is the god who's like switching the radio station there, and then maybe it's literally it's either Vincent or Jules who's changing the radio station there right, too. So it has a literal meaning them. too. Yeah. Then it goes into their car and they're listening to that song. Yeah. You know, so it, it's so well done. Just so many choices. Make choices. <laughs> <laughs> I think this was during the opening titles though. Carla said, "Is Danny DeVito in this too?" <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why did you think that? His name's on it in the titles. Oh, was he a producer? Maybe. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's your movie. <laughs> I, I he might have been a producer, so that's maybe not as crazy as we're giving you <laughs> credit you. for. Let me <laughs> I think I saw his name. Let me just check on that. It happened Carla. really fast. And then I was like, oh yeah, I remember him being in this. <laughs> But he wasn't at all. Carla, I'm looking, I'm looking at the <laughs> yeah, exactly. IMDb right now, and I have to tell you, Danny DeVito is an executive producer. Yeah! So, <laughs> I apologize for mocking you, but he's not in the movie. He's not in the movie. Uh, but I did think that, so I wasn't sure. Here's a little flashback to last week's movie. Uh uh, John Travolta as Vincent Vega has a very distinctive haircut in this oh, movie. Yeah. Very kind of a, uh, a, a very greasy, mullety kind of thing. And Carla said, he looks like a wing of desire. <laughs> Last movie. They yeah. were, they all had long, greasy yeah, hair. hair. Yeah. His hair. Ever seen Wings of Desire, Liz? You made me watch it. Oh. <laughs> Oh no! Awesome. I couldn't have wished for a better response to that question. You made me watch it. Uh, Seems to be a recurring, recurring theme in my life. Well, the Royale with cheese conversation is one of the more iconic scenes. uh, Yes, of the nineties. That was certainly one that I was like, I'm not going to think that's as funny watching that again, and it's still really funny. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's really funny. (laughs) 
And I guess Tarantino had just gotten back from Amsterdam when he wrote the movie, and that was fresh in his yeah. mind. The yeah, the little differences between Europe and America. Yeah. Uh, when that's then I the- went to live in Amsterdam later in life, and then that would be referenced a lot in Amsterdam. Yeah, would <laughs> oh, you guys really? talk about it all the time? Oh, yeah, we went to McDonald's so much. I worked at a theater, Boom Chicago, and. Because when we'd finish our show, things aren't open late there. Maybe they are now, but back then, you know, it was like ni- 1999, and we only had McDonald's to go to. So yeah, there yeah. was a lot of referencing the Royale with cheese. And- <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> now, uh, Vincent and Jules are a couple of hitmen, but you only kind of gradually realize that they're currently on a job, right? Because they're just talking about bullshit. Right. But you're just pulled in right away by these guys' relationship, and uh, again, like the actors are so good, and and it's an it's extreme close, like it's very close. The camera's very close to their faces, so you can't help but be pulled into their conversation. Here's a Liz's quote: "Those were some close-ups." <laughs> <laughs> That's a cold open, and those are some close-ups. <laughs> I was, the- I was like, boy, they are just yeah, really I close. I wondered if he shot. I'm sure. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they didn't have much time, but like, I was like, was there coverage of like two shots and wider shots? And he just in editing chose those close ups. I mean, it is, but yeah, it's almost, it's like kind of claustrophobic. Yeah. It feels really personal. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there was coverage, but I also think Tarantino is the kind of director who knows exactly the shot that he's going to end up using anyway. Yeah. So he probably doesn't overshoot that stuff. Uh, but then there's other things like Samuel L. Jackson explaining pilots to uh, John Travolta, oh, so like pi- TV pilots. Yeah. You, know, you are familiar with the concept of television, are you not? <laughs> you <know? laughs> Going into, especially now, I, you know, because when I saw that, I wouldn't have known what a pilot was. I wouldn't have known that word, yeah. you know, when I was a teenager. And then now we live in L.A. and, of course, we work in this industry and do pilots. And, like, the, that word is – I just know that now. I, yeah. It's so funny to hear – it being explained it, it, it in being such explained. a remedial like, way. Yeah. Oh, right. And it's just like, oh, right, it's lame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a terrible way to do things. terrible. Yeah. Still is to this day. Still is it's to a this terrible day. way of doing things. Well, some of those pilots go on to be television series, and some do not. <laughs> she was in the one or whatever. Yeah. That did not make it. Like, right. Then they talk about Tony Rocky Horror. They talk about uh, foot massages. <laughs> you know, there's just a, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I wouldn't go so far to call the brother fat. Uh, he's, he's got a weight problem. He's Samoan. Uh, <laughs> Such good lines. Uh, but then they, they kind of set up uh, that Vincent's going on a date later with Mia Wallace, who was the wife of the boss. So of like little bits of plot kind of get dropped in. And then they kind of go to the door uh, of for the job that they're on. They're like, oh, it's a little too early. Of like, uh, so they just continue their conversation. And then they're like, let's get into character, which is a line right. I love too, yeah. implying that even though these are tough guys, they're also kind of playing at being tough guys. Right. Which scary. Is, which is, Clearly, yeah. their characters when they go in is that Vincent is the quiet one and who just paces in the back and yeah. smoke and rolls a cigarette and doesn't say anything and and is kind of like not even oh, yeah. being seen by those guys like, right I guess that's his character yeah whereas um why can't they what's samuel jackson's name jules jewel whereas jules is like the scary one who's quoting the bible and like yeah. giving him shit <laughs> like they they got into their good cop bad cop or whatever yeah. <laughs> that's so funny uh 
Our friend Robin, who was watching this movie, kept reminding us about Tarantino's foot fetish as well. <laughs> she so wanted us to really understand she really what went, it was. To the point where she sent us a linked article on uh, a woman <laughs> uh, delivering an anecdote uh, of Tarantino uh, sucking her toes, which was... I, I uh, please don't look it up and don't read it because I <laughs> I read it and will never get that image out of my head. But there is a lot of foot stuff. There is a lot of foot in this a movie. Foot theme, yeah, sure. there really is. <laughs> uh, now all this is taking place at seven twenty two a.m., which is kind of funny too. Of like how much of this movie is early in the morning, and I think it's almost like a recurring joke yeah. uh, of how ridiculously early this whole thing is. And they're like is. eating burgers at 722 yeah, in the morning. Yeah, big kahuna burger. Yeah. Right, so they got burgers. Those guys were awake and got burgers. I guess they're also, maybe they're operating on that nobody slept all night. Yes. Yeah. These are night owls. These yeah. are people involved in crime. Because Vincent so. and Jules, they're, they're in suits, but the suits are kind of rumpled. You know, like they yeah. might have been on a job last night, I guess. And then... I don't know. I think it's more played as a joke. It just feels like yeah, it's so silly. But you know, I and I, I was thinking about this this morning when I was thinking about my opinion of this film. And I think the thing that works about about it for me now is it's so funny because of the extremes of everything. Like everything is an extreme. And I think when I was younger, I didn't understand that so much. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like. Even the gory stuff or the violent stuff, the part where he gets his head shot off, I laughed at it this time, and I don't remember ever doing that before. And I think it's just because it's so completely absurd, and I get now how how that's really funny. <laughs> you took it more literally when you were. Younger. I think so. Yeah. yeah, I was just like offended and like this is like you know, yeah, too much. But now it's just because the whole movie <laughs> is set up in this extreme world yeah it makes more sense so the fact that things are happening 7 8 a.m yeah like would never really happen in real life but like that's just what this world is yeah. you know she has a, a drug overdose and somebody stabs her in the heart with a needle that's just what this world is like it's just so crazy yeah uh a number of groundlings in this movie. So I don't know if Tarantino was going to a lot of shows at the groundlings at the time but uh Kathy Griffin Karen Mariyama uh julia sweeney and phil lamar uh who is a guy i totally know and have improvised with nice guy plays marvin in this movie who gets his head shot off uh and then also i discovered that the fellow who plays the gimp was julia sweeney's husband i don't know if he was actually a groundling as well oh, or if wow. he just got this movie because uh of his connection to julia sweeney so was cutie just like hanging out with the groundlings in the 90s <laughs> Who is that? QT. <laughs> Maybe he was. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he was uh, going to the Crazy Uncle Joe show. Um, <laughs> or his casting, whoever, casting director was like, that could had be true. been a groundling and now is a casting director and was pulling in friends. Yeah. That could yeah. be true. Um, now, of course, he'd get some more IO, Second City people sure, in there. different time. Yeah. UCB. UCB. Yeah, let's be real. <laughs> It'd be all UCB people. Yeah. <laughs> Here's Carla and Tar uh, Tarantino's hair, Travolta's hair. Carla and Travolta's hair, so gross. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> and we did discuss about whether it could be real or not, and we all decided it was a wig. We, I think everybody was in a wig. Yeah. Uma Thurman wig. Yeah. Yeah, definitely Samuel Jackson's wig. wearing a Jerry Curl wig. I think. Yeah. Mo I think they did a lot of wig work. Yeah. <laughs> It's Maybe that great. kept the budget down too. Like once you get the wig, then you're not in hair and makeup for as long. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Good point. Thinking about production, guys. <laughs> also, with the daylight, I was like, oh, yeah, they didn't do a lot of nighttime scenes. That's that's a better – that's a good shoot. They never <laughs> oh. had to do a night shoot. Oh, and maybe that's another reason that it was set so early in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, no night shoots. No night shoots. Yeah, interesting. Could have been a budget reason. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, someone call Cutie and just let it <laughs> ask him for okay, us. Stop calling him Cutie. You started it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's the scene with Vincent kind of driving when he's high. Is that kind of dark there? And I guess when he pulls up on Eric Stoltz's lawn, that's kind of a night shoot. But it is interesting for a movie that is kind of a modern noir. It's mostly mm-hmm. like broad daylight. Bright daylight. Yeah. Bright for a, for LA a lot sun. of it. Yeah. Uh. I Samuel Jackson had done a fair amount. I mean, he'd been acting for years, but I think this is the movie that really kind of created the badass Samuel Jackson persona that's been used so many times since then. He'd done Jurassic Park before then. He'd done some Spike Lee movies. He'd been in Goodfellas, you know, so he certainly was a known character actor. But I think Samuel Jackson's in Goodfellas. Yeah. Uh, he play, I forget the name of the character, but yeah, he's, uh, he's a gangster with like a loose affiliation. They kill him. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that later as well. Mm. Um, but he's so scary in that scene where he's threatening the, uh, the guys, Mm. uh, and so much tension is created there. Does he look like a bitch? Yeah. (laughs) Say what What? one more time. Yeah. What? Uh, He's and he's scary. He's threatening Frank Whaley, who's also uh, very, Swing Kids. very good in the scene. You know, Frank Whaley from Swing Kids, sure. Uh, but Carla said, I don't remember how this ends, but it's not going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember if Frank Whaley got killed. <laughs> then when they unload on Frank Whaley, uh, Carla said, why didn't they do that right away? Why'd they have to drag it out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they were there to kill the guy in the first but place. I did really feel that way. It's like, oh. It's so evil. Well, they had to get the um, the briefcase. When he uh, first walked in, they didn't know where the briefcase was. Uh, then he had to find it. He said it's in the cabinet. Then they, but yes, once he got the briefcase and and Vincent says we happy. Yeah. Then they could have killed him right then. Then yeah. he got. Then he just toyed with them a little more. Oof, tough. Yeah. Can we uh, talk about brief, the briefcase? Let's talk about the briefcase. There's a glowing briefcase which belongs to their boss, Marcellus Wallace, and there's many theories as to what it might be. Give. I meant to look this up before coming, because I know like people have talked and talked and talked about this. But what are the and what I remember, the only one I remember, and I is that it's like the the devil's yeah, soul. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, but this why is, do people think that? This is a total fan theory. Well, first of all, the the key, uh, the combination six, six, is six six six, uh, and then also supposedly when the devil steals your soul, he takes it from the back of your head. And then okay. Marcellus has a big bandaid on the back of his head. But from head. what story? Is uh, I don't know. I don't know. So I thought this time, because I had that in my head, I, I remember that being a thing that it's the devil's soul or something. But then this time I was like, well, it seems like it's Marcella, Marcellus's soul. Marcellus sold his soul to the devil and now he's getting it back. And now he's getting it back. And then. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> but, yeah. But it's like, so he took, he got it. It was taken. Yeah. So then he needs these guys to go get his soul back. And they go get it for him. So then when he gets, this is what I was trying to track this time. If that is all the truth, they, you know, they drop it back off at the club later. Then mm-hmm. he has it. So and then I just couldn't figure out with the timing when he gets raped later. <laughs> yeah. Did he have his soul back? 
<laughs> oh. So I was like, if he had already got his soul back, and then that's maybe why he, he for, and that's why forgives he forgives Butch. him. Yeah. Oh. I, I think I might be putting a little bit more into this now. This is Guys, a, I'm so exhausted. This is a weak sauce fan theory to begin yeah. with, and you're giving it more credence than it deserves. Well, the whole but. Band-Aid thing is what sold it for me when you said it. Because the whole time I was like, "What's what happened to his head? Why is he really going Band-Aid? for something there? This yeah. is what happened. Ving Rhames shaves his head. <laughs> He's an actor who shaves his head. He's a balding guy. He accidentally nicks the back of his head. Is true? Yeah. Oh. He actually nicks the back of his head on a date he has to shoot. Puts a Band-Aid on the back of it. He shows up to set. Tarantino's like, that's cool. I'm going to start the scene on the back of your head and show the Band-Aid. Oh, it was just, so this out the back of the head soul thing. Yes. It was a complete accident that Tarantino thought was cool and decided to do that. The glowing briefcase is an homage to the great film noir movie Kiss Me Deadly, which is a a great movie from the 50s, which is kind of like a a very influential, not only Tarantino, but David Lynch as well. So you'd love it, Carla. Uh, (laughs) But uh, there's a glowing briefcase, which I I think is actually plutonium in the movie, but it's uh, that's specifically been... Uh, there's been many homages to that over the years, but Tarantino specifically just wanted it as a MacGuffin, just something that meant nothing to make people wonder and kind of set the plot in motion. But he didn't necessarily have an idea of what it would be. Hmm. Is that has he comment like, or, or does he go? I know what I think it is, but I just want to know what you think it is. Uh, or- apparently, I guess he did have an early draft where it was the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs were in oh. there, but then he thought that that was a little too on cutesy the nose. Or yeah, cutesy. There's other things like uh, Mr. Blonde in Reservoir Dogs is uh, Vic Vega, Michael Madsen's character, and John Travolta is Vincent Vega. So in Tarantino's mind, those guys are brothers. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Crazy. And then his character, Jimmy, in this movie has the same last ni- name, same last Nine. name as Harvey Keitel in Reservoir Dogs. So maybe they're related as well. I don't know. That's a lot. Uh, here's okay, Carla so comment. We didn't. We did not have to. I did not have to go as far as say that. Did he have his soul when he was raped? No. Glad he nicked the back of his head. Oh, glad day. you went there, Liz. Glad you went there. <laughs> um, here's Carla and Samuel Jackson uh, as Jules. I always thought he looked a, like a goat in that shot. I said that. Yes. Oh no, that was me. Well, you said that. I said that. Yeah. Because I have, that's a. I was like, I don't remember ever having that thought. Sorry, it's a Liz's quote, not a Carla's quote. (laughs) If you freeze frame that part, it's, it's in the scene, right? With the big kahuna burger. And there's just some shot. He doesn't look like in any other part of the movie. And he just looks like a goat. (laughs) It's kind of amazing. (laughs) Goat, uh, of course, uh, traditionally associated with the The devil. devil? Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Um, so when we do have the shot of Marcellus's back of his head band-aid, uh, the more prominently in the shot is Bruce Willis as the boxer Butch. And there were four ladies who were watching this screening who were all thinking the same thing at the same time, which I believe Carla articulated first, which is why is Bruce Willis so sexy? <laughs> He's pretty crazy sexy in this movie. <laughs> That's all. Okay. <laughs> and then Great. a lot. Well, maybe this was later. Basically, every time he came on, we all had to discuss 
his yeah. sexiness. And then we got into how old he was <laughs> when he <laughs> shot the movie. And Late thirties, right? Yes. And, but there and were, whether he was younger than us now. Yeah. And there he were was younger than most of us in the room. And we were like different opinions oh, as to how old he was. Yes. Right. Somebody was like 45 and somebody else was like 33. And it was like, kid, 33. Look at him. I was like, I don't know. Pipple's 33. It looks like that. <laughs> And then we were like, is Pitbull 30? No, Pitbull's 40. Then we had to take a little turn and Google Pitbull. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't stop the movie to Google no, Pitbull. No. But, what did we yeah. decide he was, 37? I think he was 37 yeah. when we made this. Which but is, Bruce Willis is one of those guys who looked old when he was young. Yeah. He just yeah. – yeah, he, he's a man. Yeah. But he's he's in good shape here and, uh, yeah, he looks good. I don't know that I've ever watched anything where I was like, Bruce Willis is sexy. But that was definitely what I thought watching this. <laughs> Uh, Marcella says henchman who lets in Jules and Vincent, uh, has this bad where he's like, Jules, my man from Inglewood. And, uh, yeah. Vincent, my man from my, wherever. Well, first it like, he rhymes or he's like, my, like my man from Amsterdam. Yeah. My man from Inglewood. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and then, then later he's got yeah. the line. He's like, my name's Paul and this is between y'all. <laughs> Uh, but but Liz said, I want a line of 10 people in a row where he's like, my man from blank. <laughs> so many people coming in. <laughs> that actor, Paul Calderon, who apparently was second in the running for Jules. He just Aww. missed out on being cast as Jules. So Tarantino created that part to give him a That was nice uh, of Cutie to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and another fun thing is they come in in these garish like t-shirts and gym shorts which is not what they were wearing in the earlier scene but you don't know why yeah. why are they in these t- right. and they get made fun of yeah, gets paid out, off but... gets paid off later yep that was good that uh, was really cool and cool yeah then there's a scene of Vincent buying some heroin from his dealer, Eric Stoltz. Uh, his wife, uh, Eric Stoltz's wife, played by Rosanna Arquette, who I once sat next to for nine hours on a delayed JetBlue flight. <laughs> from, Did you chat? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I didn't realize it was her till a couple hours in. And then uh, we did – other than the basic pleasantries you would exchange with anybody uh, that you're – sitting next to on a flight that's like waiting for three hours on a runway. Uh, but yeah, she was flying uh, economy from uh, JFK to Burbank on JetBlue. <laughs> <laughs> Not the only Arquette in this movie either. Her brother yeah. Alexis Arquette, who recently passed away, plays the guy who shoots at Vincent and Jules out of the, uh, oh, yeah. the bathroom. Um. <laughs> Also, we had a conversation in the room about how heroin is coming back. Uh, So I guess that's more 90s nostalgia. Yeah. Okay. That made it sound way more (laughs) glib than we were actually talking about it. Yeah. I don't know. Was I mean, here we're getting into it again, but I don't even know if 90, if, if heroin was all that common in the 90s, but maybe it was, but it just feels like now it is such an epidemic. Like it's, you know, on 60 minutes, like how it's really, 60 minutes did a whole piece about it and like feels Well, I like- think the difference is now that it's it now it's more common among uh low lower class people maybe like cuz I feel like you you watch movies from like the about the 30s and 40s and all of these famous authors are doing heroin like oh, it was yeah. some sort of Yeah. Is that true? 
Well, I, I think in the 90s it was kind of glamorized because of its association with grunge, you know, and then you had – Right, because that's what Kurt Cobain did, right? Cobain yeah. uh, was a heroin addict. Uh, Lane Staley from Alice in Chains died of an overdose. Yeah. There was a lot of dead. River Phoenix, right? Yeah, or it was a combination, a combination. Of, of drugs. That's right, yeah, and then the you had night. train spotting as well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I think we went down exactly this path the <laughs> other night. You can and, cut this out. And Carla said, this got so sad so fast. <laughs> Which I was just feeling, so I had another fish chip. Also, I was just dead wrong about, I thought morphine was the same as heroin. Oh, yeah. And I thought, we were all wondering what how great heroin must be for people to like kill themselves over it. And I was like, well, we'll know when we're in hospice. And everyone's like, what? Like, isn't that what they give you in hospice when you're dying? And I was like, no, that's morphine. Is it morphine heroin? No. <laughs> I don't think I learned enough in my D.A.R.E. program. Oh, here's what you're yeah. thinking of. Methadone is the same – or methadone is a milder heroin, right? Because that's what they wean addicts oh, off of okay. heroin by giving them methadone in, instead. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so sad. Uh, let's repeat. This got so sad so fast. Yep. Uh, Travolta, by the way, so good at playing uh, high. <laughs> So and, good. And the character is so dumb. Yeah. He's he's great. Like he's just He's really, really good in this movie. This is his best, I think. Best he ever was. Yeah. I think. I mean Definitely. Yeah. He's but he is he's excellent, but in he just there's something special in this one. Mm-hmm. It's almost like oh, let's just talk about the character for a second, because it's so good. And when you piece together his journey over these two days, it's like two days, right? So when he gets shot, we we don't know yet that Jules quit and that's yeah. why he's by himself. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he's on this job alone and he just came from Uma Thurman's house the night before, right? Where she had overdosed. And earlier that morning was the, <laughs> was the whole thing where he accidentally yeah. shot off that guy's face. An, ev- yeah. an eventful couple of days. So like, if you just like track that journey <laughs> and how tired he must be yeah. and exhausted. And I, I really feel that watching his performance too. He just feels like, Oh, I need a new job. Ultimately his fatal character flaw though. Long dumps takes long Correct. dumps. Yeah. Correct. And, and he gets caught up reading his <laughs> modesty blaze book. I wonder if you were listening to anything that I said, or if you were just formulating that joke. <laughs> Because you glazed over a few times no. when I was talking. No. <laughs> Story of our lives, Carla. <laughs> you glazing over when I'm talking. <laughs> well, he is a lonely character. It's sort of yeah. sad. When he blows that kiss to Mia, um, knowing, you know, he can never have her, but he, like, sort of fell in love with her that night, and you just see, like, oh, his level of business. He's low level, yeah. you know? And he's just... He can't have an affair with the boss's wife. No, it's not going to happen. But it is kind of a very romantic pairing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have a nice dance together, you know. They do some drugs together. That ends with the craziest thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So another famous scene where Vincent goes to Mia's place. And we actually don't see Uma Thurman's face in this whole scene. We hear her voice over the intercom, which is cool. She plays Son of a Preacher Man, which Carla said, I think I learned about this song from this movie. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack. And then we cut to them in the car. Uh, 
Jackrabbit Slims, unfortunately, not a real restaurant. Something Tarantino made Too up bad. for the movie. I guess they the- should do a pop up of that right oh, now, yeah. and it would be a big success. Yeah. yeah, the way they're doing that Star Wars bar right now. They're doing a pop up of Los Pollos Hermanos too, which What's is that? Gus Fring's restaurant from Breaking Bad. Oh, okay, I've never Weird. seen Breaking Bad. Sorry. And then they have all this kind of like stylized, hard boiled dialogue in the car, and then on their date. And uh, Carla said, I want to know people who talk like this. <laughs> and Liz said, I think you have to do heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Great cameo by Steve Buscemi as Buddy oh, Holly, their so waiter. funny. Buscemi. <laughs> Buscemi. Uh, how do you want your shake? Amos and Annie or Martin and Lewis? Oh, it's so good. Uh, how about you, Peggy Sue? Yeah. <laughs> how do you want that? Burn to a crisp or bloody as hell? Um, and it the... The $5 shake, for some reason, is a big thing. And I know inflation since 1994. There's no way you can get a shake at a restaurant for less than $5 no. in Los Angeles now. Right. You know, I, I guess in and out you can get a $2 shake maybe. But, but I think in 94 or whatever, a $5 <laughs> shake would have been crazy, right? Yeah. God, this is such a good scene. Like just so thinking about Uma Thurman like, just ordering, just yeah. the way that she orders and she's the way she's smoking and ordering is so and cool. That, that observation <laughs> – I I think I always think about a restaurant when she comes back. She says, "How great is it when you go to the restroom or you go to the bathroom and you come back and your food is ready for you?" Yeah. Like I remember seeing that and going, "Yeah, yeah, that's a great you know? feeling." And then whenever <laughs> I do love it. It, whenever it happens for real, I think of that scene. Yeah. yeah. I often, if I've been waiting for a while, will go to the bathroom in the hopes that my food will be there when I get back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Carla also said on Uma, her eyebrows are amazing. And then the scene where she's snorting up in the bathroom and says, I said, God damn. Carla said, nobody talks like that. But I wish they did. <laughs> and then uh, the just the line, God damn, that's a pretty fucking good milkshake. <laughs> There's two so moments good. in the movie where people like, ha- you know, take a sip of something and love it. And they're both so good. That one is like, that's a pretty good fucking milkshake. <laughs> and then later when Harvey Keitel takes a sip of oh, Jimmy's coffee. coffee, no line there, but he just sp- spins back around with this smile that's like, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Such a yeah. good... It's like characters delighting in yeah. something. So I also cool. love that the traditional movie bad guy uh, loves black coffee and Harvey Gattel like, lots of cream, lots of sugar. <laughs> 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 and then, of course, the twist contest is so iconic, too. Yeah. Apparently, oh. I read this today that that dance is uh, almost identical to a, a dance from a Fellini film that we will be covering later, Carla. What? So- so that's a little homage to uh, to Federico. Robin was cracking me up during this dance. All, she <laughs> oh, just kept yeah. talking about how amazing Travolta's dances were. She was right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's they're so they seem so simple, and he was doing it with such like again just cool, but like yeah. such grace. You're like, well, yeah, that guy's an amazing dancer. Because Saturday Night Fever made his career. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's what he was famous for was that disco dancing. I think that's what excited people so much at the time of just like he's back to dancing again. Yeah. And I mean, it really, I think it was like, oh my God, he's going to dance. Oh my God, he's going to dance. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so cool. It's so, it starts off and it kind of looks like maybe your uncle dancing at first and then all of a sudden something just clicks and he moves to the music so yeah, perfectly. Like, oh, it's so good. Uh, and but in my memory, I think because I had seen so many clips of it, they do that dance to the surf song. Mm-hmm. 
but it's not. It's Chuck Berry. Yeah. Yeah. It's a totally different song. Yeah. It's it not like the famous poem. Yeah. Right yeah. You never can tell by Chuck yeah. Berry, who also really recently passed away. <sighs> Heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Out of a heroin overdose at 91. <laughs> uh, I think Robin said too when he was. Um, I'm sorry, but James Comey just got fired. The FBI director. Ooh, fired by who? Fucking huge. Fired by Trump? Yeah. I think the White House. Uh, it says, or because of the testimony yesterday? Yes, because from, of the. From the, Sally Yates? No, misstatements about the Clinton emails. Sorry, sorry. That's huge. Wow. That's huge. Wow. Is it Comey or Comey? I think Comey. Okay, He's good. pretty Comey as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, sorry. W- one thing I did notice about watching it uh, with great surround sound is like the ADR Walla folks are working overtime in this movie. It's like there's yeah. so much Walla in it in the background. Some people are still making some great residuals off of that ADR What's work. Walla? Walla is just... When you you have a uh, a scene in public where there'd be a lot of like the restaurant, there'd be a lot of characters in the background. If you're a Walla actor, like Carla's done this before, yeah. uh, in in ADR session, you hire like eight actors, and they literally be like, "Oh, this is a great milkshake. Oh, I'm really enjoying this. What do you want to order?" <laughs> and it's uh, just like barely there, so it just sounds like atmosphere. It, and you, if you register it, then it's not you know what's great. What's that stand for? Walla. W- Walla sound basically. A wall of. Yeah, I mean, you call it Walla. Okay. W A L A A, like yeah. Walla Walla. Uh, but it means wall of sound. It's, I think it's more commonly referred to as ADR now. Yeah, but it's the same. So uh, ADR, of course, additional dialogue recording. Mm-hmm. But ADR can also refer to a actor who's a principal looping their own line. If oh, they good point. Ch- That's a good they point. They want to change right. the dialogue later. And then I've also ADR'd, uh, sound alikes for people. If they can't get the actor who actually did it, then they bring in another actor to try to do a sound alike and dub their voice in. Oh, yeah. And that's fairly, fairly common. When actually. I noticed it, this is the only time I noticed it in the movie and I was like, that's so cool was the, the scene with, uh, where Samuel Jackson is telling Tim Roth to sit down and he's got the gun on him. Yeah. And like I heard people's voices in the background being like, what's going on? What's happening over there? Yeah. Like they're all whispering because they don't want to get shot. You know, is the reality of the movie. It's so funny. Uh, then when Mia Wallace o- ODs and Travolta takes her back to Eric Stoltz's place because he's the dealer and to try to get an adrenaline shot to bring her back to life, uh, Roseanne Arquette, his wife, is freaking out. And Carla said, this is me when I hear the dog barking next door. <laughs> <laughs> Carla not happy with the use of the word bitch in that scene. Stop calling her a bitch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was said. uncalled for. Yeah. Uh, two words that have kind of fallen out of vogue. <laughs> Uh, that Tarantino uses a lot in this script. And maybe we'll get to the other word later. Oof. You can't say that it's kind of fallen out of vogue. That makes it sound less offensive than it actually really is. <laughs> like, he can't say those words. He can't do it. Yes. He needs to stop. He needs to stop. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. But I think at at the time that I think he's putting in because he thinks it has a veneer of cool and authenticity to it. Because you know? he like here's a here's a rewrite pitch for Tarantino on that scene. Sure, you can still have Eric Stoltz saying, "Don't bring the bitch here! Don't bring the bitch here!" And then what if 
Ter- uh, what if Travolta would have been like, hey, that word's really offensive, man. <laughs> you should just call her a woman. Her name's Mia. Right, 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 right. <laughs> that way you, he could have had his cake, you know. And Tarantino, a few uh, rewrite uh, pitches. Yeah. Right. I feel it's okay when Jules is talking about Yolanda later because she's got a gun, he's got a gun, things are very tense. Feels appropriate. Okay. <laughs> oh, tell that bitch to chill. Yeah. See, then that's where you could have had a callback and someone in the restaurant could have gone, hey, man, it's not, a, <laughs> not an appropriate word. Just call her a woman. Uh, just say, tell that lady. Yeah, tell that lady. Uh, apparently, the scene where they wake her up, the adrenaline shot was done in reverse. So oh. it begins with him pulling the needle out. And I guess if you watch it, you can see the dot going away. Oh, uh, because it's shot in, in reverse. Carla said, might want to go to the hospital anyways. <laughs> <laughs> she just like goes home. I can't imagine that scenario where you just go home and go to bed. Oh. <laughs> and then they say goodnight. She tells him her goofy joke from the pilot catch up. And uh, when that scene was over, Carla said, that was so romantic, you guys. <laughs> it was. It was. Then, very brief scene, flashback uh, to Butch's childhood, the famous watch monologue by oh, Christopher Walken. So funny. I want to watch that again right now. <laughs> so funny. It's incredible. I didn't remember that at all, and I was so happy that I didn't, because I got to experience it like it was the first time I had ever seen it. And when he first mentions hiding the watch in his ass, Carla said, what? I don't remember this at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's... It's amazing, and I think somebody – you might have said this, Liz, that he really kind of takes his time doing it, but then for the crazy part at the end, he kind of speeds up. Yeah. You know? It's like a really meticulous, slow – this is a really important story where he yeah. puts a lot of emphasis on the facts of what the year was, what the war was, the person's name. Oh, In World kind of- War One, your grandfather took this <laughs> – yeah. He's like mundane kind of facts about it, and then it gets to the most – the craziest fucking part of the story, which is that the, for years, this watch was up somebody's ass. <laughs> And that then he put it up his ass, too. And he flies past all those details as if that part's not... And he hit it in the only place he could, his ass. And then Akiva... He almost, like, drops it. Akiva pointed out, too, that he mentioned that the dad had dysentery, which means that he was... Oh, yeah, that watch. Like crazy diarrhea. <laughs> yes, that's how the guy died. All of the most fascinating parts of that story he just rattles off at the end. And you're just like, what are we watching? <laughs> but we need to know why the watch is so important yeah, to Butch. And only. that's why the scene is in the movie. And, and then it's so good later when he's like, where's my watch? <laughs> It is. It is the mo- is the most perfect setup, you know, oh, on the so A good. side of it before you get to, yeah. This where's my watch? And then he's he's trying to tell his girlfriend like I didn't I didn't stress to you how important the watch was. To me. <laughs> and so, in fairness, I, in did, fairness, I didn't. And, you, yeah. and then as the audience, you're like, yeah, we know, man. We know how important you got to get that watch. <laughs> but then it cuts from him like apologizing for freaking out on her to him in the car, totally freaking out on her, not there, just screaming at her. Now, is the butch plot weaker than the Jules, Mia, and uh, Vincent stuff? It is. Yeah. I think. I think it is. I'm not as into that story. It feels like everybody in the room does not like Butch's girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> she looks, I wonder if he cast her because she looks and sounds like Betty Boop. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, she's got some serious bangs, right? And big eyes. Big yes. eyes. Yeah. I just kind of voice. 
I, I mean, I just, yeah, I do not enjoy that character of his girlfriend. Yeah. And I wonder, but I wonder if you're supposed to like her or yeah. not like her. I can't quite tell, but it's not like, imagine though, had that character been as cool as Mia Wallace. Right. Like then would all of a sudden his storyline perk up a little bit or something like right. had he written another cool ass lady character. Yeah. But she's just wanting boobery pancakes and like <laughs> <laughs> just kind of has a nothing quality yeah. to her. Here's another thing from the improv scene of the mid nineties. There was a scene at second city Torco that, uh, Amy Poehler, Ollie Faranaki and Pat McCartney wrote that basically the only excuse was them to play little kids who had the voice of, uh, Bruce Willis's girlfriend. Oh my gosh. Uh, and, uh, Ali played their dad and he's like, okay, I'll be back before you can say blueberry pancakes. And they're like, blueberry pancakes. <laughs> and that was the only game of the scene was them saying that exactly as she said, uh, in the movie. Uh, yeah, she was annoying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the scene with the cab driver is weird. Like it's kind of fun, but, but weird. It's weird. But afterwards you're like, oh, that was kind of cool. And then it leads to the whole subplot of uh, Butch and Marcellus being held prisoner by these rednecks, and yeah, uh, yeah, 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 and it's uh, it's pretty horrific. Yeah, yeah, but I, it, I'll tell you what, it sticks in your brain. You're not going to forget it. <laughs> no, I don't enjoy watching that scene, but I'm also. It doesn't mean I don't like the movie for that reason or something, or I wouldn't right. even say. I mean, maybe it's just one of the many puzzle pieces that make that movie so good, but it yeah. is rough. Yeah. Like, it's a real dark turn. I mean, I guess they go, you know, they go deep into the basement into like hell a little bit there. And it's, I'm just the wondering. De- with the hell, of course, the, where the devil is. But it feels like, <laughs> here's, what here's what I bugs me about it is that it feels like, and I could be wrong, it feels like Quentin Tarantino wants you to laugh at it though. A little bit, yeah. I think he does. I mean, the, the the gimp is so ridiculous. Yeah, they like pull him out of a box. Believe like me, like a- everybody in the nineties was quoting "Bring out the gimp" a lot. Like Ugh. it's still like an easy punchline to this day. And Akiva was pointing out uh, from that sequence how many quotable lines. You know, "Get medieval on their ass." You know, is another famous line from it. Well, this for me is the one where it's like, oh, now we're back in this weird Quentin Tarantino vibe, where it's like, I don't. I I appreciate some of his stuff, and then I'm just not on board with some of the other stuff. Yeah, you know, it's very polarizing. Yeah, I think he has some issues with his relationship with African Americans. Yes, <laughs> yes. Quentin Tarantino. I think he is trying to work some stuff out in a lot of his movies with it. Yeah, and I think he probably, in theory, in his head, is like. Comp- the, you know, not racist at all and is trying to be incredibly open to it all, but he is doing some stuff that is like, nah, I yeah. don't know. Like yeah. he want, he, he himself, he plays the character who drops the N word a lot. And I'm like, did you just, did you just want to say the N word? So you gave yourself this part. Yeah. He has the black guy. Like he doesn't show a lot of violence throughout the whole movie. Yet you see this black man being raped by a white man. Right. And this strange like S&M fantasy thing. Yeah. And it's like, you could have written a lot of different versions of the scene. Like, yeah. You wanted to see that. And well, then with yeah, and that's Django what it comes and Jane, right? Is that yeah. the name of Django, right? Django and Chain. Chain yeah. is his, right? Yeah. I mean, so if he was going to have, you know, a scene like this, it's like, why does it have to be the most powerful black man in the movie who's 
yeah being right. raped in this way it's <clears throat> it's it's very like for as much as you're like oh but he you know um wrote this great part for samuel l jackson and then you see this scene and you're like oh it just kind of takes away all your credibility <laughs> any kind of credibility that you've built up again it doesn't make me i still really enjoy the movie but there's just problems with it yeah yeah, I think uh the, the butch stuff is definitely the weaker segment of the movie and uh and that stuff is is very problematic. Uh now certainly he was taken for task taken to task for it at the time, uh but I think definitely now in 2017 uh the use of the n-word does not hold up at all. And by the time that Django rolled around, I think he was getting a lot more criticism mm-hmm. uh for it. Though Samuel Jackson has always come to his defense. Yeah. Well, I bet I mean, yeah, I just feel like he well, probably like any white person, it'd be, it's a very complicated relationship of what you like he's he's trying I just I mean there's clearly something he's trying to work out with it in his movies. Yeah. Certainly he always goes out of his way to cast his movies very diversely. Yeah. You know, I think he just sees himself as so cool. He's just one of the guys and he's allowed to use that word and QT, you are, you are not. Yeah. You are not. Yeah. That, that, when that scene where he has that monologue and he's saying the N word again and again, it just, you just want, you just want to leave the room. It's so uncomfortable. And it feels like he's, and then when they show the sequence of his wife, Bonnie, uh, it's a fantasy of, of her possibly showing up and interrupting them mid, you know, getting rid of the dead body. She is black. Yeah. Which it's almost of like, hey, I've got a black wife. It's okay, so I right? Could say it. Yeah. 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 A little weird. A little weird. <laughs> uh, well, finally, uh, Butch does go back to his apartment to retrieve his watch. Uh, Vincent is there on the toilet reading Modesty Blaze. Uh, Butch surprises him and shoots him to death. Uh, so Rich so Tallarico, right. the prophecy has become true. <laughs> Carla said, tough way to go out, but he'll always have that dance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that dance is so good. Um, and then when we, we, we got to the stuff at Zed's pawn shop, uh, I was talking a lot about the, uh, pointing out the Atwater Village locations, also similar to Frogtown, which is very close to us. And Akiva said, uh, this happens every day in Frogtown. <laughs> <laughs> Carla also said, this neighborhood has changed a lot in the last 20 years. <laughs> Carla also said, this might be the moment when this loses me. About the, yeah. about yeah. the violence. Yeah. And Liz said, I could use a little Travolta twist right about now. <laughs> Carla said, yeah, I have some problems with this. <laughs> uh, and then he grabs a samurai sword, which is kind of a forerunner of Kill Bill as well. Oh, yeah. He's got his themes. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, strangely, of, like, the gallows humor of it, of, like, Ving Rhames still kind of gets a laugh on, I'm pretty fucking far from okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, That's a good sh- line. It shouldn't be a laugh line, but it kind of is. Well, he's such a great actor too, though. He just yeah. like nails yeah. the reading oh, that of that. Good. <laughs> uh, Carla on, uh, Maria de Medeiros, who plays, uh, Fabi. This is like a bad improv scene. She's not making any choices. <laughs> <laughs> she just wants her blueberry pancakes. Now, uh, supposedly if the movie was actually told in sequence, the last line in the movie would be Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. Because uh... that's the last thing that happens. All right. Yeah. Wait, who's Zed? What are we talking about? <laughs> Zed is the redneck that uh, that he kills, and he takes his chopper. So she says, uh, "Whose motorcycle is this?" Oh. And he says, it's "Not a chop. It's not a motorcycle, baby. It's a chopper." 
And, uh, and he says it's Zed's and she said, who's Zed? And he says, Zed's baby. Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. Oh, okay. Right. So that's the last, that's the official last scene timeline wise. Yeah. Okay. Great. When Alexis Arquette comes out with the gun, die, you motherfuckers, and unloads the gun at them, but completely missing them, Carla said, oh, bummer. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, shooting Marvin in the face should not be as funny as it is, but it's it's kind of played I for laughs. I did laugh. laugh as well. Their reactions to it is oh, what's yeah. so funny. Yeah. It's so I don't know, the way that is edited or something, it is perfectly timed, like the splatter or something. Yeah. It's, it's just good. And here's another thing I like about Tarantino. Like, not only will he, like, linger on a scene and, like, uh, get into the minutia of stuff, but he also knows when to skip a scene when necessary, which is, so we go from them accidentally shooting Marvin in the car to them already at Jimmy's house, like, and they clearly, like, Travolta and Tarantino have already gotten into it somehow because yeah. Samuel Jackson's like, just be cool, man. Jimmy's all right. You know? Yeah. So like, you don't see that scene when they first come in. It's just like, Hey, it's us. We got a dead body, you know? Right. So it kind of makes the audience constantly catch up to what's already mm-hmm. going on. He puts you in the middle of that situation. That scene in the bathroom where Samuel Jackson cleans his hands and doesn't get any blood on the towel. And then John Travolta gets so much blood on the towel and Samuel Jackson freaks out is so funny and yeah. perfect. That's one of my favorite scenes, I think, in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there's so many great laughs in the scene with the wolf. Uh, pretty pleased with sugar on top. Clean the fucking car. <laughs> and, well, let's not start sucking each other's dicks quite yet. <laughs> yeah. He's great. That character's great. And, again, the smile after he drinks that coffee. Yeah. yeah. Pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. And when we see the wolf, it's 8 a.m. and he's at some dinner Part, we're not a, it was, everybody's it was in like, suits. It was a wake. It's a wake? Mm-hmm. Okay. It might have been a wake. I don't know, but it's like... But still, even a, then, that's really early for a, a wake. Yeah. I think. It, it looks like a fancy hotel suite or something, yeah. and people are in cocktail dresses and stuff. <laughs> yeah, weird stuff's happening at 8 a.m. in L.A. <laughs> and then it all comes back to the beginning. We're at the diner again where we open the movie. When And I remember the first time I saw this, when you hear Tim Roth in the background asking Garcon for coffee again, my mind was blown. It's because so cool. I yeah. had completely forgotten about that scene, you know, and now we're, we're exactly where we started. And sometimes people, uh, say that it's an error when Amanda Plummer repeats that line from the beginning of the movie and it's changed a little bit. Uh, cause I think she says, execute every that. motherfucking last one of you. This time she says, I'm going to execute all of you motherfuckers, but this time it's through Jules's perspective. Right. So that was in- intentional on Quentin Tarantino to have it be slightly different each time because so it's, cool. it's from a different character's point of view. Uh, Carla on Amanda Plummer. She needs a bra. <laughs> Liz, how long are Travolta's dumps? <laughs> Carla, all the women in this movie are so dumb. Except for Emma Thurman. <laughs> and then uh, at the – and then uh, just Samuel Jackson's just finest moment of just like his final showdown with uh, with Tim Roth. Uh, so good, you know. And that's what's great about it because we know how fucking scary Jules is. We know that he's mm-hmm. a stone-cold killer. And then so when Tim Roth, who's this small-time thief, like sees him – and is like, hey, I'm gonna take this guy's briefcase. We're like, dude, don't, don't yeah, mess with yeah. this guy. Just get out of there, you know. But because he's in kind of this zen place, he plays it uh, a different way, mm-hmm. you know. Still gets his briefcase back, mm-hmm. uh, but he again then gives uh, Tim Roth the money from his wallet. 
Uh, but as he finally gets up from the booth at the end, Carla said, did that sound like a fart? <laughs> it did. I agree. Yeah, yes. It's just hard to get up from a vinyl booth in a I cool guess. way. Uh, any other thoughts on the movie? Have we covered it? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel like it's such a great way to end that film because it sets up the idea of... <clears throat> Samuel Jackson making an active choice to save his own life yeah. and go do something else. And John Travolta just doing the thing that he's always done. And he, we know that he gets killed. So is the last shot of Jules putting a gun down his like terrible shorts? Of them, shorts. Yeah. Yeah. So that, it does end on his... one little last laugh, which is nice. Yeah. But what were you saying? No, that, but that is the last time time wise we see him too, yeah. right? Yeah. In his yeah, story. We don't... Yeah. Well, no, because then they go to return the briefcase to Marcellus in Oh right, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I couldn't remember. So what, that's yeah, last I was trying time to think of him. when's okay. the last time you see Jules time, yeah, timeline wise. Like, yeah. would it be just in the in that bar, in the, that bar, the yeah. Paul, the yeah. Paul, Paul? Yeah. yeah, that'd be the last time Crazy. we see him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we kind of talked after the movie about who's the protagonist, and it probably is Jules because yeah. he's the character who undergoes a change. By the end of the movie, I think I missed that conversation. I went to the restroom, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> right, where he, yeah, he goes. I mean, yeah, it's hard to pick a protagonist, so it's just really not even a movie, right? That that yeah. word quite works for it. Yeah, but but I gotta say, for me, I leave just thinking Travolta, Travolta, Travolta. <laughs> sure, like yes, I think Jules is the character because Travolta doesn't go through a change. You right. know, like his character doesn't, but you, yeah. he just something about that performance. Maybe he has the most screen time though. Travolta. Yeah. I think he does. He yeah. might. So, I mean, but there is just something really powerful yeah, about him in it. Cause we lose Jules for a while during the whole Mia and, and mm-hmm. Vincent stuff. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it is kind of four main characters who are, you know, relatively equal in it. Mm-hmm. I do, I did notice this time. Blueberry Pancakes Girl and then uh, Honey Bunny were both a little too um, written to, uh, what's it called? Infantilizing? Yes. Like male fantasy. Yes. When when she's freaking out and she's like, you have to go pee. Yeah. And I was like, oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Blueberry Pancakes just seems like a child the and, whole time. And, but. and like just the men like telling them what to do. Same thing with Rosanna Arquette, although she was a little more forceful. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, do this, do that. When I do, when I do, you yeah. know, it's kind of At gross. least she didn't bug me as much because she fights back a little bit. Yeah. Like, Where the fuck is it? Like, yeah. they seem kind of equal. She was and like that on that JetBlue flight, too. Yeah. <laughs> Where the fuck are we getting off of this fucking And he can obviously write the hell out of a woman part because everybody fucking loves Uma Thurman in it, you know? Yeah. So it was just a little bit like... Oh, give him a little something. And then like, Kill Bill is full of badass women. Yes. You know, because you get Daryl Hannah, Lucy Liu, and Vivica Fox in it yeah. are, are all real powerful too. So. But even though we all love Uma Thurman in this and her character, I mean, if you really examine her character, she's also like a kept woman. Yeah. <laughs> right. Who her husband sends out on superficial dates with people who work for him. She can't really do anything honest in her life because he'll get mad at her you know like there are, are still these kind of tropes yeah did you hear what i said yeah there are, <laughs> there are these kind of tropes yeah but yeah i was thinking about it. i was like i mean it was mainly just that by the end they're like i have to go pee yeah <laughs> but you know you know, i'm not gonna <clears throat> not gonna love everything about it <laughs> okay carla you want to give this movie a letter grade 
I'm going to give it an A minus. Okay. The minus Ooh. for There's some questionable language. Okay. That just doesn't hold up. I think the minus for Zed. <laughs> Zed, yeah. I think the mi- I think Zed gets the minus there. You say A minus as well, Liz? That's an A for me. Okay. There's not a lot of movies. I, I can't think of a lot of movies that make me feel like that. That yeah. I just go and the word "cool." It's hard it's to so make cool. Have a cool movie. Yeah. Yeah. What does the A stand for, by the way? Oh, the A stands for. All right, enough with the bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and yeah, the yeah. N word. Yeah. Yes, fair, fair complaints. This movie is number 68 on my list. That seems a little low. I think it'll be moving way up, possibly even ahead of Reservoir Dogs, though that's going to be rewatched within the next couple months, so we'll see. Just the structure of it is, you know, I mean, there's just... So well-constructed. Say what you will about Quentin Tarantino, and there's a whole other podcast to be, for you know, for us to say stuff about him, but like, he's definitive in his style, and he's constantly making choices, which is what Liz was saying earlier, like just very specific choices. Yeah. The whole time. I was in a constant argument in the 90s with our friend Bumper, (laughs) uh, who had problems with both Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction to the point where he had a VHS cassette that some, this is, you know, before the internet, you know, when you could circulate videos there. So somebody had made this video called Quentin Just Admit It, which was about all the movies that Tarantino had ripped off for those two movies. And so there were side-by-side comparisons of scenes from Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction with the original movies that he had ripped off mm-hmm. for them. And it's a fair complaint, but I would say... This, that Tarantino has always acknowledged his influences. Like he hasn't Mm -hmm. tried to hide anything. And a lot of the best artists are the most derivative. Like, you know, the band that ripped off the most people, uh, or had the most influences, the the Beatles, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, and they, you know, they were pretty good because they synthesized all their influences into something totally new. Let's not compare Quentin Tarantino with the Beatles. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's up, he's up there. And my point is this of like, yeah, he was pulling from all that raw material, but if it was that easy, anybody could have made Pulp Fiction and only Tarantino could have made Pulp Fiction. I think that's a fair argument. I feel, I feel like he, yeah, I feel like he's always acknowledged when any, Anything he's doing is a shot for shot something. Yeah. It's an homage and it's, yeah. you know, but oh, yes. That's actually from a, a kung fu film from 1972 <laughs> that you absolutely need to see. And, uh, you know. yeah, because yeah, I think yeah. he's a huge film buff, right? And, and, like, I mean, he's seen like everything. Yeah. And, and anybody who lives here in LA and is a film fan has either seen him at the arc light watching movies or yeah. like gone to his movie theater on Beverly. Uh, yeah, he called? now owns the new Beverly, which yeah. is crazy. And oh, so wow. he has like these screenings where he, he brings out, you know, the, the, um, whatever, the reels of the movies that he bought that are like the original prints from the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Like he loves film, is my point. He only shows celluloid at the new yeah. Beverly, too. Yeah, no digital screenings. And yeah, our friends Jason and Carlino came to the screening the other night. Their first celebrity sighting in LA was Tarantino at Arclight. <laughs> Oh, that's so, pretty good. Can't get more LA than that. Now, Liz, uh, we also always improvise a scene uh, from a movie as a way of closing out our podcast. So, uh, from the movie, what from, do you mean? Well, this could be a scene that's in the movie that we're reimagining. This could be a scene that oh. was omitted from the movie, including some of the characters. Okay. Uh, is there anybody in particular that you would like to play? Oh my gosh! Um, I'll be the girl who's um, taking those bong hits. 
That's great. Okay. So, wait, th- this is the girl at at Eric Stoltz's yeah. place? Yeah, oh, it doesn't say anything. <laughs> now, I actually looked up who she is because she seemed familiar to me. She's one of the backup singers in The Commitments. You ever seen oh, The Commitments? Oh, yeah. She's great in this movie, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so she's an Irish actress and singer. I think Jason brought that up after the screening, like how he hadn't seen it in so long. And so just to recognize that she's in the background making these faces as Uma Thurman is being yeah. revived. Okay. So, so this might not play on the podcast, but you know, I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> maybe so, we, maybe we can hear some of her inner thoughts. Okay. So Liz is the girl doing bong hits. Okay. So then Carla, who are you? So is this, the, uh, so we're at, I'll be, so uh, be at Eric, Eric Stoltz's house. I'll be house. Eric Stoltz. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How does he sound again? Share, yeah, yeah. So that works. How okay. does he sound again? He's just a guy, right? Who are you? Yeah, at? he's a guy. He's Lance. Right, right. He's Lance. Be I'll, I'll be Vincent Vega then. Okay. Okay. I, 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 I can't believe you. You came all the way over here. I sell drugs. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not a hospital, goddammit. Hey, I know you're not a hospital, but, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, she, she passed out on me. It's just crazy. Yeah. I, 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 okay. Well, you, you gotta you, help me, man. You Come gotta on. be the one to, to, to put the shot in her heart. How, why am I the one who has to put the shot in the heart? What's the shot? <laughs> it, look, it, it, I, I gotta get high with my friend over here. All right. I had plans tonight. You gotta do this, man. Hey, how you doing? I'm Vincent, by the way. Hi. <laughs> you are high? Huh? What, let's focus on the task here, Vince. Come on. Okay, look, I, I can't give it a shot. I mean, I don't want to know where her heart is. I'm not a doctor or nothing. Uh, hey, is this girl dead? No, she's not dead, but she might be very soon. She could be very soon. Very soon she could be. Do you know what death is? Do any of us? Yeah. All right. Somebody needs to uh, take a marker and put it on her chest. Where's your wife, by the way? Shouldn't she be here? She's taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Because that lady... She's taking a nap anymore because everybody's been screaming. <laughs> I'll never forgive oh, you yeah. for doing this, Nevins. I five minutes to myself and I can't because you said, what the fuck is going on in here? I've been trying to get her quiet all day. She's finally taking oh a nap. God, is there a fucking I, dead body? I finally put her down for a nap, Vince. Give me that marker. Here. Hand me a marker. Hand me a fucking marker. This is what you need to do. Is that like a Sharpie? Because that's going to leave a permanent mark. I don't know. Just a Honey, I love you. I don't want to call you any bad names. I'm just saying I love you and calm down, okay? Yeah, don't oh, say shut that up, word. Shut a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she can say it. It's actually cool if she says it. See? <laughs> Yay. Ooh, that was exciting. You played two characters. Wow. Liz showing some diversity. Nice. Uh, diversity or well, range? Uh, yeah, range. Range. <laughs> diversity. Well, this is our longest episode ever. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a lot to say about Pulp Fiction. And Liz, it was so great having you. That was great. So now Thanks, you're going to edit this up and and then place it like in different time That's- frames. <laughs> so it's a really confusing <laughs> podcast to listen to. <laughs> oh, my God. You have to do that. That would be so annoying. <laughs> That's so brilliant. Please do that. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that to Craig's listeners. I think they'd love it. Uh, Liz, anything you want to plug? You, uh, do, you do not have a strong social media presence. I do not have a strong social media presence. <laughs> uh, no, nothing to plug. You, uh, the, you write for Last Man on Earth, season finale just aired. Great cliffhanger. Yeah. Is that going to get paid off in the fall? Well, it might get canceled. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so perhaps not. Okay, we're waiting. We wait- are waiting up front for next week. Okay, we're waiting on word. Not gotten a pickup yet. All right. Uh, um, and but please go uh, watch Last Man on Earth. I loved how the season ended. It was so fun. Yeah, we had Kristen Wiig for a little bit. Well, there you go. There's the spoiler. Oh. <laughs> Another person on this on this <laughs> earth. Spoiler, yes. There's more and more people on the earth. Uh, Carla, uh, next week we're going to be covering my 67th favorite movie, and it's time to return to the works of Mr. Woody Allen. Oh. <laughs> and, Quentin uh, Tarantino followed by Woody Allen <laughs> feels right. I gotta remember. I gotta ask Robin what her exact quote that her mom said but her mom was watching some woody allen movie and went oh enough with the black and white credits (laughs) (laughs) well i can guarantee you this film has black and white credits as well (laughs) she's like it's what he does in every film yeah with the little uh, jazzy big band music behind it yeah well this movie this movie is from 1985 and uh, it stars Mia Farrow, who I believe uh, dated him for a while. I think uh, a lot of people <laughs> don't know some, don't some know that. Yeah, yeah, but they have a history Somebody, together. Yeah. And Woody, Woody is actually not in this one, but Mia Farrow is in this with Jeff Daniels. And uh, this movie is partially in black and white and color, and it's called Purple Rose of Cairo. You like this movie? I do. I've seen this several times. Okay. I don't even have to watch this one. I've well, seen it so many times. you got to watch at least a third of it, Carla. All right. That's the deal. Dems the rules. That's how it works. This is also the shortest movie still on the list. It's an hour and 22 minutes. Great. So this Ooh. is going to this is going to fly so by and uh I think we'll have a guest as well to discuss Purple Rose of Cairo so thanks for tuning in. Whenever you talk about Woody Allen, have you have you yet done a discussion where you separate where you talk about separate artists way ahead of you way ahead of you <laughs> separated the artist and the man but let's yeah. find another reason to to not sign off yet <laughs> <laughs> you can cut that part out that was just a I'm curious about that and signing off <laughs> the list is an absolute good the list is life